Let's go to the word of the Lord. Revelations chapter 1. Revelation chapter number 1. This is an amazing passage of Scripture written by John the Apostle. John called himself the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) And he had a great affinity and relationship with Christ. And this is a phenomenal moment in the life of John that we're going to read about here in this passage. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. John says, Amen, so should we. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Thank the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. We celebrate his victory over death and hell. And as we look into your word, I pray that I will decrease and Jesus will increase clearly in this service. We are the redeemed, and we're full of victory and liberty today, no longer slaves, but free. So Holy Spirit, speak laser sharp to us today. We're not here for a funeral service because of a dead God. We're here to celebrate one who lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This, uh, this text was written from the Isle of Patmos. The Isle of Patmos was a place that the Roman Empire would exile some of the worst criminals and political adversaries to. And John said, Jesus is the first and the last. He lives and was, past tense, dead. And remember this. It will never end until he gives permission. <clears throat> he was dead, but he's, he lives and he is alive forevermore. Now, why does Easter matter? <clears throat> Some people think it's about, you know, eggs and bunnies and bonnets and things of that nature. But why does Easter matter? What's, what's the whole point of Easter? Well, our founding fathers had no problem understanding it. Our culture today, we struggle with this because we've got all kinds of things diluting this great message. Ask your neighbor, why does Easter matter to you? There was a pastor who popped into a Sunday school class made up of boys and girls ages 6, 7, and 8, and the question was asked, why do we celebrate Easter? One raised his hand and answered, we celebrate Easter by carving pumpkins and wearing costumes 
go looking for candy. So we have a confused culture. <clears throat> Pastor winced, moved on to the next student, and the question was asked again, why do we celebrate Easter? The young lady who seemed very sharp raised her hand and said, we we'll celebrate Easter by shooting off fireworks, grilling, and picnicking. Okay. Go to Disneyland. You know, you can add that to it. <clears throat> the pastor tried to maintain his composure. Really? Like, so why we celebrate Easter? <clears throat> and he smiled, looking for some hope in that Sunday school class, and maybe somebody would get it. What are they teaching in this class, was the question. Finally, a young man raised his hand and said, Hey, pastor, I know why we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter because Jesus came out of the tomb. The pastor sighed, sigh of relief. Then the boy said, and sees his shadow and goes back in for six more weeks. <clears throat> wow. There's a haunting scripture in the Word, and it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. It means we're one generation from slipping totally away from the principles that made not only our country great, but our relationship to God, vital and alive. That's a scary passage of Scripture. Ronald Reagan said years ago before he became president, we're one generation away from losing our freedom, and we are in the process of seeing that happen as I speak. Although I've said this to you, I remind you again, we must tell this story over and over and over and over. The significance of who we are where we came from, why we're here, must be passed on to another generation. And I told you this story before, but indulge me on Easter, would you? There was a couple who went to Jerusalem. You know, they went to see all the great holy sites. And I want to go back with a group from our church if you want to come with us. They, they, they took along his mother-in-law on this trip, so there were three adults. And mother-in-law died while they were touring, and the body was taken to the morgue. The attendant said to the husband, you know, we can bury her here in the Holy Land for under $1,000, or we can ship her home for burial in the United States. So it'll be about $5,000 to get her back there. Son-in-law thought for a moment, said, ship her back to the States. The attendant said, well, I can bury her here in the Holy Land for under $1,000. I mean, this is the land of the Bible and all these wonderful things you've come to visit. No, ship her. I'll pay the $5,000. Now, why would you spend $5,000 for a plane ride back to the United States plus funeral expenses when you get home? I'm giving you a deal. It'll cost you much, much, much more to send her body back. The son-in-law answered, and I thought it was a great answer. Understand, I heard the story of this man who died here, and he got back up. Send her home. <laughs> send her home. And I have, a, I have one more. It's a true story. It's a true story. <clears throat> This, is, this one's true, because a good friend of mine told me this, from Texas, by the way. And there was a man who was born again. And in their Easter pageant at their church, he was asked to play Jesus in the church production. In this Easter production, playing Jesus, coming down the center aisle, he was carrying the old rugged cross on his shoulder, and a Roman was beating his back. But there was a friend, a former friend of his, in the crowd, a past friend. This one-time past friend jumped up, and he started heckling the new convert who was playing Jesus coming down the aisle. And he said, you can't be Jesus. I remember when you stole, you smoked weed, you shacked up. So Jesus dropped the cross, jumped over the pew, and beat the guy right there. <laughs> and the ushers grabbed hold of him because they were 
on their feet and they didn't miss anything, right? And the ushers grabbed him and after took him to the pastor. And the pastor said, look, we have two more nights left of this performance. And I'm going to let you keep being Jesus, but you can't be running into the congregation and beating on somebody. I won't do that again, he said. Okay, so the next night of the production, Jesus is carrying the cross, center aisle. He's coming down the aisle with that cross on his shoulder, and the same heckler is there. And he starts doing it again, saying, you can't do that. I know you. I know who you are. And Jesus slammed the cross down, jumped up over the pew, but before he could get to the guy, the ushers grabbed him, okay? And it was the end of the performance of that night. I mean, it just tore the place apart. Third night. Before the production, pastor pulls the man in his office and says, look to me, listen to me. He said, you're born again. You can't go back living that old kind of a lifestyle. You can't jump into the middle of a pew and start hitting somebody who's not born again. That's why we're doing what we're doing, to bring people to the Lord. So the final night production begins. He comes down the aisle. He's carrying the old rugged cross. The same man is there the third night heckling him one more time. This time, Jesus stopped, looked at the man and said, I'm going to see you after the resurrection. Okay? <clears throat> okay. So, now the reason I use that story is simple. Because Jesus said the same thing to his followers. I will see you after the resurrection. Will I see you after the resurrection is the question. The facts of the resurrection. Remember, Jesus, who is God, came to us in the flesh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is the story of Jesus, and it's simply this. We could not go to Him, so He had to come to us. Jesus, God manifested in human form. He lived here for 33 and one-half years on a specific mission to the human race. He died a physical death. He endured the sins of the entire world, not as a martyr, but by choice. He was not forced by the empire to die. Jesus chose to die. I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself. And it was the worst death ever, a death devised by Roman executioners called the crucifixion. <clears throat> it was designed to terrorize, to intimidate, and to exact the most possible pain of the person being executed. It was a slow death. You could feel pain coursing through every part of your body. Every joint was pulled out of its socket. And the pain was designed to be slow, <clears throat> agonizing, and it would go on for days in some cases. And with all of this, Jesus, who was God in a physical body, suffered the death of crucifixion. Not because he was forced, he did it because he chose to die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow. Say, he gave. <clears throat> he died by choice. He was not guilty of any sin or crime, 
Therefore, the scripture says, he could become the sacrifice for everybody. He was a lamb without blemish. He was the God who manifested himself for the purpose to die for our sins. Think about that for a moment. God decided to do this himself. He took all of our sins. So why do we rejoice on Resurrection Sunday? Because whatever I was guilty of, whatever you're guilty of, someone died and took the pain and the penalty of those sins, and his name is Jesus the Christ. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So put your hand on yourself and say, I am the righteousness of God. Which means there was a substitution. There was propitiation. There was a penalty that was paid to get us to that place. Our unrighteousness he took upon himself as we took on ourselves his righteousness. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, in, to help in time of need. So we come boldly because of what Christ has done. Now why? Because you stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. That puts a blood message in us. Because it was a bloody sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin cannot be eradicated without a death penalty being exacted. So that puts a blood message in each of us, all of us. Because you comprehend you are covered by the blood of God. You have been blessed by the blood of God himself. It means you are not walking in your righteousness... Neither do you have to suffer a guilt trip thinking about what you did. You need to have a celebration trip thinking about what God did for you rather than a guilt trip. Because of what God did for you, you may have done what they said you did. You may be guilty of those things, but you are not who they say you are. You are walking not in your righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Tell your neighbor, that is for you. So Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. And three days later, on the first Easter Sunday morning, he rose again. And listen to John, his disciple. He's exiled to the Isle of Patmos for preaching the resurrected Jesus. And there he's left. Now listen, Tertullian, the great historian, said they had taken the apostle John... And we're about to execute him because they, the Roman Empire was trying to eliminate and eradicate everybody who named the name of Jesus by every possible means. And John, being one of his 12, was taken to a boiling vat of oil and tossed into it. Tertullian records, he said, with amazement to all of the executioners, John not only did not die in the boiling oil, but he climbed out of the vat and scraped the oil off of his body and stood there before them completely well and unharmed. So they took John out to the Isle of Patmos, which lies in the Aegean Sea, about 25 miles off the coast of Turkey. Only the most dangerous political criminals and otherwise criminals were isolated and exiled on this island. 
It was a rock that popped up out of the middle of nowhere in the middle of the sea. It was a hot rock because of the climate. There, was, there, was, there were no ponds on the island. There were no, no water to speak of other than the rain that fell from the heavens. There was little vegetation. And there John was exiled by a specific emperor, Emperor Dominion. So here he is on this rock. He's forsaken in exile. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? Sunday morning. And Jesus Christ himself pays John a visit. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. Look at your neighbor and say, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So Jesus' resurrection was witnessed by multitudes in various places. At one time and one place, by a significant number. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So this is not some conspiracy theory written by Jesse Ventura, nor is it an allegory according to Bill O'Reilly. This is not the witness of just his 12 disciples or a handful. This is verified by over 500 at once. And ask the Romans who happened to be there at the tomb at the time of his resurrection. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as, as by one born out of due time. This is truth and proof that Jesus is alive. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive. He got up. These were not wishful thinkers. Jesus was not guilty of any sin. Therefore, he became our sacrifice. So when Jesus arose, he was seen by people just like us. People with questions. People with doubts. People who were cynical. People in pain. People who were rejected. People who were betrayed. People who had suffered losses. People who were perplexed people going through depression, people trying to figure life out, people who say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Thomas put it like this. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus changed you and me forever. Now watch this. When John saw Jesus, he fell like dead at his feet. It was not an abstract idea that John was comprehending. It was rather God's ability to meet people at the moment of their need, wherever they are in life. In the worst moment of a person's life, there is a resurrected Savior waiting to greet you. For Easter is not for perfect people. You have it going on. You haven't had any trouble. You're all of that. The hardest thing you've ever endured is a bad hair day. 
This is not for you. Easter is for those who have struggled through a lot of stuff. Easter is for those who lost their jobs and don't know what to do. You thought it would only last a few months, and it's gone on for years. Easter is for those who had someone close to them who passed away. They begged God, pled with God, let their life be spared, sitting there dealing with the death of a close loved one. Easter is for those who just had the MRI results come back, and it says you have a particular disease. It's for those when the doctor shakes his head and says, we're trying to figure out what to do for you. And all of a sudden, you become an experiment where every day they're drawing blood and scratching their heads trying to figure out how to help you. Easter is for the woman who thought she got her prince charming, but later discovered he was the devil in disguise. Easter is for those whose families have been fractured and separated, those who struggle for hope, struggling to be able to dream again, struggling to get up off the ground and get moving. Easter, the resurrection, is for those who early in life had great dreams and hopes and ambitions, but as time and life have come along and they've dealt with you, they've beaten you down so that you're only going through the motions. And now you have no great expectations. And all you expected on Easter Sunday morning was to show up for church with your family, see and hear some good music, a good message, and go back home to your misery. Easter is for those who don't think life can change. Easter is for those who are looking, out of, looking for a way out of no way and determined there is no way. Easter is for those who have given up and are looking for the retirement plan of eternity when they finally end it all here and get to exit. Easter is for those who've been rejected, have been so locked up that they're looking for someone on the other side of their heart to shake them and wake them. Easter is for those who have never felt loved. They don't know what love is. And like that songster, they sing, I want to know what love is. They're running around hoping somebody cares. Easter is for those who have lost their voice and have no one to speak for them. And they're trying to say something, but they can't find the words to communicate. Easter is for those who feel like they're a square peg in a round hole, born in the wrong time zone, and no one understands them. Easter is for those who feel like they've lost their minds, and even a psychiatrist can't help them. Easter is for those who are sitting there acting like a misfit, but believe something's going on inside of them, but they can't understand it. God sent us Easter so that all of those dreams and hopes could one day be realized. For those who are not living well, when life gets messy, there's Easter. When life is not what you want it to be, I have a Savior who's come to make all things new, to give you life and life more abundantly as opposed to the one who came to steal, kill, and to destroy. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. (laughs) Watch this. As you accept Jesus, the gift of God the Father, you receive all that he is and all that he can do. It's well stated 
in this rendition of a familiar story. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection, priceless works by Picasso. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection, priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many others adorned the walls of the family estate. The widowed elder man looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused the father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, the father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. The art collector anxiously awaited more news, fearing he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son had so looked forward to, would visit his house no longer. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. As the two began to talk, the soldier told of how the man's son had told everyone of his, not to mention his father's, love of fine art. I am an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the son. Though the world would never consider it a work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man thanked the soldier promising to hang the picture over the fireplace. A few hours later, after the soldier had departed, the old man set about his task. True to his word, the painting went well above the fireplace pushing aside thousands of dollars of paintings. And then the man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. During the days and weeks that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those he had touched. He would soon learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his caring heart. As stories of the son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the grief. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the pieces for which museums around the world clamored. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he had ever received. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was alive with anticipation. Unmindful of the story of the man's only son, but in his honor, those paintings would be sold at an auction. According to the will of the old man, all of the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received his greatest gift. The day soon arrived, 
and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled this day. Greatness would be achieved as many claim, I have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding with one hundred dollars, he asked. Minutes passed. No one spoke. From the back of the room came, Who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go on to the good stuff. More voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Now who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. Will you take ten dollars for the painting? That's all I have. I knew the boy, so I would like to have it. I have ten dollars. Will anyone go higher? called the auctioneer. After more silence, the auctioneer said, Going once. Going twice. Gone. The gavel fell. Cheers filled the room, and someone exclaimed, Now we can get on with it, and we can bid on these treasures. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced, The auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, What do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all of these paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand that you explain what's going on here. The auctioneer replied, It's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. Puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Just as those art collectors discovered on that Christmas day, the message is still the same. The love of a father, a father whose greatest joy came from his son, who went away and gave his life rescuing others. And because of that father's love, whoever takes the son gets it all. Hmm. Tell your neighbor, choose Jesus and you get it all. There's so much to say about the resurrection of Jesus. John's location, Isle of Patmos. Patmos means the place of my killing. And John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In exile, full of political insurrectionists, criminals. Once there, you probably would never be seen or heard from again. There were no trees, no fresh water. The expression, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place, developed because of the Isle of Patmos. I'm trapped on this rock, and I'm in a hard place. It was the Alcatraz of its day. With all of that being sent to a place of exile, a place where you're removed from society, people wrote you off as as good as dead. You're out of society, you're out of sync. You're separated from friends and separated from relatives. They said, you're there because you're no good. No one wants to hear your voice. No one wants to see you again in this dry, hot place on this rock where people sentenced you as one insignificant. You don't matter. You don't count. Jesus showed up. Can I tell you something? There's no place you can go that Jesus won't come after you. There's no place you are today, no matter how hard you think it is, but that his love won't drive you right to him. Because like a magnet, you can't turn your eyes away from him. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And if you hear nothing else on Easter, hear this. If you choose Jesus, you get everything he has. No matter how much trouble you're going through, how isolated and feelings of being alone, Jesus will reveal himself in the middle of nowhere. And you can never be so removed and down that God by his spirit will not come and find you. God will come and lift you up even when the world has put you down. Your history can't be written until Jesus has the final word. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. So someone here today, you think your life is over, but it's not finished yet because Jesus is coming to visit you on your rock. And God says, you might think you know me well, but you haven't seen anything yet. No one knew John better than Jesus. And no one knows you better than Jesus. People in your life might try to disqualify you. The man who actually purchased that picture we heard about earlier, just a friend, didn't have much money, seated in the room witnessing this auction, a $10 bill to his name, not even enough for the opening bid, but he bid what he had. You might not have what you think it costs, but if you give what you've got, you get it all. And all God's looking for is somebody. So when he shows up on your rock, if you give him what you have, you give him your brokenness, you give him your exile, you give him your condition, you think of yourself as a bystander, listen, you get it all. And you wonder, why am I here? wandered off to the mall at times and watched other people buying things and you play with the change in your pocket and don't miss this revelation while you're watching other people shopping here and there remember you're feeling change in your pocket you're feeling change God's about to meet you and God's about to greet you and the last listen this is the last time you will watch your life you will become part of life And there's change coming. And wherever you are, if you will allow him to make himself known to you. Let's not make Easter one day out of the year. Because every day is resurrection with Christ. Every day, God wants to show himself alive to you. So whatever your situation, no matter where you are, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold... I am alive forevermore. And if you can get his life in you, even when they've tried to put you on a rock and separate you from everything, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So when you think you're all alone, in about three days, I'm here to let you know, God's looking for you. He's coming after you. He doesn't care what anybody said about you and doesn't even care how you got where you are. He's only excited about where you're going. So lift up your head because he has places for you to go from here. Thank the Lord. So Father, we honor you, bless you, and thank you. Thank you that you find us even on a rock. Thank you for lifting us out of between a rock and a hard place. Thank you. You sent your son to be broken so that we could be made whole again. 
Those who are lonely, left out, can be rebuilt. Those who attempted to be silenced and isolated, never to be heard from again. Those whose books ended in the middle. But with you, Father, it was nothing but a pause for them because you always end on the positive. So stir up your presence inside of us so we can live in liberty and power of the Spirit. We seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, and everything else will be added unto us in the name of Jesus as we choose the Son. Salvation is here because of him. Let's stand together, everybody. Let's lift our voices for a few moments of thanksgiving. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Eyes are closed. Let's repeat this together, this prayer. I believe in God. He's our Father who art in heaven. He walked with Adam and Eve. But sin came and separated them. But the Father sent His Son to take the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future. And I'm confessing that Jesus paid for all my sins. He is my Savior and He is the Lord of my life. I make my confession publicly so that I can be born again, set free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So with eyes remaining closed for just a couple more seconds,